Judges chapter 10, verse 1 uh, to verse 2. That's where we are. Judges chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 2. Now, the New Year Honors List uh, was released last week. And uh, no one uh, told me here whether you received an honor or not. Uh, I was scanning the name. I think 1,123 names or something like that uh, that were on the list. It was released last week. Uh, If you know something about the honors list, uh, the list recognizes uh, the services and achievements of extraordinary, extraordinary people across the UK. I think that rules many of us out. Um, Now, one of the people on that list, if you picked it up on the BBC or on ITV, one of the people on that list is Aina Khan. Aina Khan. Uh, She she gets an OBE for protecting women and children in unregistered marriages. And I like what she said when she got, uh, she found out, she got that letter through the box, as it were. She says, never in a million uh, did I expect the honor. Uh, You imagine it will be middle-aged men getting it at most. But when the envelope arrives, uh, it's a special feeling because you realize it's something that happens to ordinary people. It's something that happens to ordinary people. And that phrase, something that happens to ordinary people, struck me. It's refreshing that in our society where everyone... Uh, feels they deserve a red carpet road for them. Uh, Aina sees herself as just an ordinary person serving others. She doesn't even expect the owner to come to her. And as I thought about that, I don't, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but I thought that there is something of God's image being reflected in that woman's attitude and statement. A person who is not looking for fame. Uh, she's not looking to be noticed around her. She's not looking to be, uh, for a red carpet to be rolled out for her. She simply wants to serve. That's all she wants. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because our God in Christ is like that. He's not looking for notice. He just wants to serve. And in Christ, God has come to us, we learned over Christmas, in a manger of all things. We are resuming our journey through Judges. Judges, if you may remember, the last time we looked at Judges was in September, well, no, November, I should say. And if it was long for me, actually, it was in November. And you remember that Judges is an historical account of God's people as they settle in the promised land of Canaan. But if you've been with us in Judges, the last nine chapters, you know Judges is more than that. It's more than history. Judges, as I like to put it, it's his story, God's story of using ordinary people for his glory. People who don't deserve to be noticed. People who don't deserve to be on any owner's list, even in our society. People like you and I, just ordinary job blogs, we might say. You see, sin has made us all enemies of God. But the good news of Judges is that even though we're enemies of God, God is still pursuing us. He's still chasing after us, us ordinary people, to use us for his glory, to be with us. It's amazing. And last time we were in Judges, 
We witnessed, what did we witness last time we were in Judges? We witnessed the death of Abimelech. Where did Abimelech die? He died at Tebes, killed by a woman rolling the stone and crushed there. The self-appointed king Abimelech, his reign of terror came to an end. Abimelech is not a judge. That's important to remember. That's just a technical point. Gideon was the last judge. Abimelech is a renegade who wanted to declare himself a judge. Abimelech is dead. That's chapter 9. The son of Gideon. That's why we left things. Now, the question we are asking is, what is next now for Israel? Will God give up on them? No. He's still in pursuit, still chasing them. And God is raising now a new judge, an ordinary person to lead Israel. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 10. The first truth we learn in these verses, which is in front of your outline, is that God uses ordinary people. God is not using celebrities or superstars. I mean, he does use them, but he's not after such. He's just after ordinary job lords, ordinary people. We notice here the new leader is taller. Look at verse 1 to 2. After Abimelech, there arose to serve Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel for 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. And those two verses is all we know about Tola throughout the whole Bible. But it's a lot. Those verses are a lot. You see, first of all, let's look at his name. In the Bible and in societies where I come from, society where I come from and other parts of the world, names usually describe a trait of a person. So for example, we know from the Bible the name Eve means what? Anyone? Mother of all living, well done. It comes to Bible study. Mother of all living, that's good. No, we haven't done it, I'm just joking. Mother of all living. My name's Chola, means what? Okay, I don't expect you to know that. <laughs> yeah, is that? That's my, that's, that's my wife who said that, sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're all right, okay. Yes, indeed, Chola. I like to simply say Chola means born after twins. Don't mention the handbag. <laughs> Chola means born after twins. Uh, and this is, so names mean something, all right? Names mean something. Uh, and this is the same thing with our new judge. And in our society, sorry, I should make the point that I'm named Chola really because I've been born after twins and the handbag goes with it. But the, it actually means something. Uh, I wasn't actually named, it's just automatic. Uh, that I'm Chola because I was born after twins. Now, it's the same thing in, we see with our new judge. If you think about it, the name Tola is a very strange name to give to a child. Unless it actually describes in some way something about them. Because you see, the name Tola actually means worm. Worm. And I think he was named to tell us something about his lowly nature or his, or his frail nature. 
We can imagine today that Tola's name would be a nightmare for spin doctors. I mean, can you imagine? Here comes our leader, Worm. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a very exciting thing to be called that. Tola conveys lowliness, frailty about him. And we don't know anything about Tola's grandfather, grand, Tola's dad, Pua, the son of Dodo. Uh, no, the, Tola, the son, the son of Pua, so we don't know anything about Pua, his dad, nor do we know anything about his granddad, Dodo. Interesting name, isn't it? We don't know anything about them. The point is that Tola is not Prince George with a famous dad and famous grandmother. Tola is not Brooklyn Beckham with a celebrity dad. Uh, he's not even Abimelech with a famous dad, Gideon. It's almost like God has purposely gone for a, an ordinary person, a nobody. In fact, these verses tell us that. Notice how he's described. After Abimelech, they arose to serve Israel. Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a what? A man of Issachar. A common man. Tola is the job logs of judges. If you like, God has summoned him from the margins of society to the center of his work. The God of the Bible is the God who delights to use ordinary people for his glory. And we've seen him do that already. Judges chapter 3 verse 31. God has already raised up Shamgar an ordinary person. And we see that God raised Jephthah in two weeks' time from a broken home. He's a God who uses just ordinary people for his glory. And I would say to be used by God is the greatest honor there is. To be in a relationship with him, to be used by him, beats all honors you can ever have. Now the youngest recipient on the honors list this year is the 18-year-old Lucia Me. She has had three liver transplants. She has been given the BEM, the British Empire Medal, not for surviving autoimmune hepatitis three times, but for a great campaign for organ donation. And it's a wonderful thing to read about Lucia Mee's story and her extraordinary life. And it's wonderful the government has honored her. But you see, God's honor is different. God's honor is not for heroes like Lucia Mee. God's honor, he, he gives his honor for the ordinary. Not for the deserving, but for the undeserving. Not for saints, but for sinners. The good news of Jesus is that God looks at the garbage dump of lost sinners and says, she does not deserve it. He does not deserve it. But I'll use her. I'll save her. I'll save him. And I'll use him for my glory forever. You see, God is not like the world around us. For many of us who have any chance of making it the honors list, two things we need, probably. One, 
we need to have the right connections. I mean, that's how neglect, presumably, God is knighthood. You need to be politically known. Okay? Or you need to be a person who is extraordinary in your abilities, like Lucia, me. And even in our society, just to stand out anywhere, we must have the X factor, the wow factor. I mean, that's what TV tells us. You've got to be extraordinary. That's what society tells us. Scarlett Moffat. Does anyone know who Scarlett Moffat is? Scarlett Moffat is the 2016 winner of I Am A Celebrity, Get Me Out Of Here. As she recently warned young women to be wary of filtered pictures of women online. Scarlett, what she did on Instagram is that she posted uh, two pictures of herself. One with makeup and filtered with technology. And then she posted another picture of herself without makeup, just being Scarlett. And she contrasted those two pictures. It's like two different people. Like two different people. And then Scarlett wrote on Instagram, she was pleading with young women not to believe everything you see online and try and be like them. She says, not everything you see on Facebook, on Instagram, is real. She says, just be yourself. And as I read a statement, I thought, it is good of Scarlett to warn our young people like that. Our young women, our young boys, all of us. But sadly, the message of Scarlett to say, just be yourself, is good, but it is not enough. Because I picture myself being a, impossibly, being a, a young girl and thinking, what would a young girl think when she hears Scarlett's message? Just be yourself. I think what she would say is, look, I have tried. I have tried. I have looked inside myself, and I hate who I am. I want something more. I want to be loved and accepted by the world. I want that picture, that filtered picture I see. And if we are honest, that is what many of us, many, many of us want. Even those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus here, we want the best life now, don't we? Be honest. What really drives your decisions? Is it not to be as comfortable as possible? A better career, better children, better friends, better relationships, a better church, a better country, progressivism. We are all trying to get better. And all of this is your heart simply searching for the extraordinary. But you see, the good news of these verses is that you don't have to be extraordinary. You don't have to. God is the only one who is extraordinary. And he wants you ordinary. We are spending the rest of our lives trying to be extraordinary. And God in Judges is showing us that it's just after job logs. Just after the ordinary you. That's all he wants. God delights to use people like Tola, people like you, people like me, ordinary people for his glory, for whom the world is not worthy. 
And here is the most amazing thing we, we learn in Judges. God does not just use extraordinary, does not just use ordinary people, he also works through ordinary words. That's the second truth. He, God works in ordinary words. You see, the God of the Bible, yes, is the God of signs, miracles, and wonders. But normally, in the Bible, he's just the God of Tola. The God of ordinary words. Look at these verses again. The verses tell us that Tola saves Israel from tearing itself apart after, two de- after a civil war, three years of a civil war under Abimelech. He saves them for 23 years. Look at uh, verse 2 there. And he judged Israel for 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. You know what happens during these 23 years is that it doesn't just save Israel and give them peace for 23 years. Even idolatry goes from Israel. Look at verse 6. Notice what happens in verse 6 there. What happens in verse 6 is that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And did what? And served the bells and the Ashtoreth. The point I'm making, and we'll see it in two weeks' time, is that Idolatry is gone at this time. It only returns after Tola and Jer. All that chaos under Abimelech is removed during the period of Tola and Jer we will learn about this evening. How does Tola do this? Notice here that he doesn't do it by fighting wars. There's no mention of him going to conquest here. But he simply does it by... God making him acceptable to the people around him. It's in these verses. Look again. The second part of verse 1 says what? And he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And verse 2 tells us, And he judged Israel for 23 years. The first thing you need to notice in those two interlining verses is that the word lived there is yashab. Yashab. Y-A-S-H-A-B, Yashab. It means to sit or preside. It is actually the same word used for Deborah in Judges chapter 4, verse 5. In other words, the author of Judges is very much telling us that Tola is a judge in the Deborah for these settling disputes. And notice something interesting here. And like Abimelech who relied on his people, Tola of Issachar, where does he live? Where is he living? He's living in the land of Ephraim. I don't know, he may be like, he's like a scouser, I guess, who's moved down to Liverpool, right? Or to, moved down to London, right? Uh, he's, he doesn't live where, he's, he's all, where his tribe comes from. Well, you guys don't have tribes here. But he doesn't live from where he should be in the land of Issachar. He's living in the land of Ephraim. And notice the contrast with Abimelech again. This is how the Bible works. The contrast that the author of Judges is drawing us is to Abimelech. How did Abimelech become, become a self-appointed thug, so to speak? He relied on his people, the Shechemites. Tola is the exact opposite. God has made him acceptable, not just among his people, but among everyone else. You see, Tola is forging peace across tribes. He is the presiding judge in the Deborah mode. And there is no song or dance about it. 
Tola is just doing the mundane, boring work of bringing people together, healing old wounds, and just pointing them to God. Humanly speaking, Tola's life looks very boring. He lived and died. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. He moved to, he lives there, he moves there, lives there, does the work, and he dies there. There's no evidence of great travels abroad, exciting adventures. He does not have 20 million followers on Twitter. And there's not even a palm tree named after him like Deborah. A boring life, we might say. But what this verse is pointing us is that God has used this ordinary man in an ordinary way as a safe pair of hands to the glory of God. Thank God in our churches we have tolerance. People that are willing to do just the boring work, perhaps after a major crisis, they're just there holding things together. Safe pair of hands. And of course, even in this church, we've had that. People that just hold things together, they're just taking along and keeping things going. Tola is like that. They are willing to do the boring work for God. Are you willing to be boring for God? Are you willing to do the mundane for God? Are you willing to take on a task in the church that is boring, that has no exciting X factor to it? Just boring and exciting task for God. For some of you, the question I have to ask you is, are you willing to be part of a boring church? We have to ask ourselves that. Are you willing to be around boring people? <laughs> I'm not saying you're boring. I'm simply saying, are you willing to do that? Or are you just looking for something exciting? Some of you are not committed to this church because you are currently looking for something extraordinary. You want a church that ticks all the boxes. You want to be absolutely sure that this is not a church of Tola, that this is a church of Jair. We're going to be Jair later, you know. It's got, it's got many sons riding on donkeys. You want the extraordinary, the unexpected. Many are moving from church to church in search of what? Signs, miracles, and wonders. Friends, I want to encourage you that God uses the ordinary. And that's what we see here in Judges. And I want to encourage us as a church as we start a new year in 2018. As a church, we must keep our focus on the ordinary means of grace. The boring preaching of the word. I'm not saying as an excuse for me to send you all of you to sleep. I'm simply saying I'm comforted (laughs) that the Lord uses boring people for his work. We should rely on the ordinary means of, of preaching of the word. Prayer, the Lord's Supper, baptism. These things are not the most exciting things, but in what God uses for his glory. 
And we must not veer from that. We must keep at it. The boring aspect of meeting on Thursdays. Yes, you could be doing more exciting things. Are you willing to be boring with others around? I have to tell you, Thursdays are not boring. I mean, they, are, they have some fireworks. But the point is, it can be boring sometimes. And we, I'm comforted because we as a people must focus on the ordinary. And we must ask God to help us, to press forward in ordinary ways, not to be tempted. So two truths we've let there quickly. The first truth is that God uses ordinary people. The second truth we see here is that God works in ordinary ways. And here is the final truth I want to share. And it's a wonderful truth we learned from here. Is that God is with us ultimately in the ordinary Jesus. God is with us in the ordinary Jesus. We always ask this question if you've been with us in Judges. Why is a certain judge in the Bible? We ask that question. We're going to ask it when we come to Samson. We're going to ask it when we come to Jephthah. We always ask that question. Because the Bible points to who? Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So when we come to Tola, the first question we might ask is, why is Tola in our Bibles? It's not here so that you dare to be a Tola. I mean, it's not easy. It's not hard to be a Tola. It just have to be you, right? But it's here in the Bible to point as a signpost to the coming of Jesus. We could have preached this text at Christmas time. Because you see, Jesus is the extraordinary God who has come as our ordinary Savior. Like Tola, Jesus comes as a, with a very ordinary upbringing. We're going to look through Mark, so I'm going to be throwing a few verses at you from Mark 6 this year. Mark 6, in Mark in general, look at Mark 6, verse 2 to 3. We need to get acquainted with Mark because we'll be looking at it from July. Mark 6, verse 2 to 3 says this. Uh, uh, that's the second book, I guess, in there. Mark is somewhere there in the New Testament. One of the four Gospels. It says this, And on the Sabbath, Jesus, he began to teach in the synagogue. Mark 6, verse 2 to 3. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simons? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They thought of Jesus. They said, no, this, is, this is ordinary guy just like us. I mean, how can this guy say such things and do such things? To them, you see, Jesus was just an ordinary person. Because why? Jesus had an ordinary upbringing. Fully God and fully man. And yet in Jesus, God has put on our ordinary nature, our humanity, so that why? He may become our leader, our Messiah, our taller, our peacemaker. You see, like Torah, Jesus brings peace with God and peace with one another. Not by negotiations, but by his death on the cross. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. This is what Paul says about Jesus, our taller, our peacemaker. For he himself, verse 14 to 16, he himself is our peace who has made us 
both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The point Paul is making is that Jesus has come now as our peacemaker. And it's interesting, when we go back to Judges chapter 10, verse 2, the last sentence we read, what's the last sentence we read in chapter 2? Judges chapter 10, verse 2. 10, verse 2, it says this about Tola. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. Tola the judge, all the judges died, but in Jesus we have a judge who never died. A savior better than Tola who has risen from the dead and now lives forever to make intercession for us. And he lives in us. The good news of Jesus is that if you are truly trusting in Jesus this morning, you are not only saved from sin, you now share life in, the, in God. Because Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 to 10 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Friends, that changes everything if you are a follower of Jesus. Because it means, you see, that your ordinary life, this ordinary life you have, is now plugged to the extraordinary life of God. God lives in you, and you live in him. You share life with God, and that changes everything. First of all, it means, application number one, it means, first of all, that your entire identity, if you have trusted in Jesus, is enveloped, enveloped in God. If you trust in Jesus, it is okay, friends. It is okay to be ordinary. It is okay just to be you, natural human self. You don't have to be extraordinary because God, who is extraordinary now, lives in you. That means, friends, you are free to fail. Free to be imperfect. Free to live poor. Free to live a single life. Free to be just ordinary you. Free, should I say, to struggle even. You're free to be just you because Jesus, who's extraordinary, lives in you for the glory of God. It also means, application number two, it doesn't just mean you have been freed. It also means that the life of Jesus that is extraordinary now transforms all your ordinary assets and activities because you now belong to God. That's what we've been learning on Thursdays, isn't it? Fruitfulness at the front line. The extraordinary God lives in us, so even our ordinary activities now take on an extraordinary meaning. God wants to take your ordinary opportunities and assets, hobbies, everything is given you, and make them fruitful for him. Not by pretending to be extraordinary, but just offering up your ordinary life to him. Now someone here may say, oh, Chola, you don't know what you're talking about. Look at my life now. I am just old. I have no education. I have no friends really that I can really count on. I am usually unwell. 
I blow hot and cold, and sometimes I want to come to church. To be honest, today I didn't even feel like coming. I'm trusting in Jesus, but my life, just sometimes I don't even want to get up. Can God really use that ordinariness? Well, the answer to you this morning, friends, is simple. Just do one activity when you get home. Write down your excuse. And put your name under it, and then put it next to the taller's name. Then write a, a large circle around your name and Tola's name. You see, that large circle is Jesus. You and Tola, the world, live in Jesus. You live inside the same God of Tola. And God is able to use your very ordinary life if you make it available to him. He's able to work through your boring job with delight. If you have a roof over your head, he wants you to use your ordinary home. Not as a castle where people must work for MI6 to get in. No, but as an open door, just your ordinary home. Invite a young person or a lonely older person in the fellowship over for lunch. Get to know them in an ordinary way because God is able to transform your ordinary time for his glory. And if you can't invite people in your home, I know some of you can't, really. You're living with parents. Just spare one month, one hour, not one month, don't get too excited. That's extraordinary. Just spare one hour, one hour in a month. To, just one hour in your month. Each month, just visiting an elderly person here you've never visited. Time it. I'm just going to come for an hour. Just once a month, one hour, I'll visit this person. Just one hour. Tell them, hey, I'm here for an hour. Pastor said, one hour, I'm here to see you. How are you? Let's chat. And off you go. That's how God uses us in ordinary work. All this is ordinary stuff. There is no excuse for a person who is truly converted not to offer their ordinary life before God to be used in such ordinary ways. Why? Because it is who we are. But for those who are not converted, all this ordinary talk is not very exciting. Your heart is set, still set, on the best life now. You're not interested in doing the ordinary for God. You are not interested in surrendering every area of your life for God. Why? Because even though you believe in God, you do not think God has your best interest at heart. You think you know what's good for you, not God. Now, this may sound strange because I'm talking to people who are at church, right? It sounds strange. Because you're still attending church. Why are you attending church? I want you to attend church. But I'll tell you why you're attending church. You're attending church because being in church is part of your social DNA. You are chasing for the extraordinary life, and somehow you have ticked in the box, and part of being extraordinary is having nice smiling people around you to feel part of something in the community. You love church, but you hate Jesus. You hate Jesus. You won't surrender to him, but you love church. And that's a tragedy of many people in our churches. They love church, 
but just not Jesus. And so every sermon, every Sunday, they refuse to surrender their life to him. Well, I want you to consider the firm of the great stars of cinema and music. Those whose extraordinary lives we secretly admire. Where are some of them now? Where are they? Many of them are in Hollywood nursing homes, often with only memories to comfort them. Many of them with great records in the past or great movies are there now in nursing homes. Adoring fans, you see, lose interest when the vigor of youth can no longer be sustained by surgeries and lotions. Everyone in this world, whether on an honors list or not, leaves one foot in the grave. You are one step away from your last breath. Augustine of Hippo said, each human being carries within them the mark of coming death. That mortality bears witness to human sinfulness. It screams out loud. It declares to all of us that God rebuffs the proud. In the end, all your pursuit of the extraordinary life will come to an end. And if you have not surrendered to Jesus, you face everlasting punishment. Lily Tomlin. Does anyone know Lily Tomlin? Filmster. Lily Tomlin famously said, the problem with the rat race. What's the problem with the rat race? She said the problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you are still a rat. Even if you win, you're still a rat. Well, I want to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, thank God for the grace of Jesus. Thank God Jesus saves us from being rats in this life or in everlasting damnation. The good news of Jesus has come to each one of us this morning. In Jesus, God has come to us. He's offering us to be with us, to take your very ordinary life and to use it for his glory. So accept this Jesus. Confess your sin. Give up the pursuit of the extraordinary life. Accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sin. Surrender all your life in him. And you will have the true extraordinary life. Supernatural life that comes by God joining you with himself. I'm not talking about a sinner's prayer. I have to keep emphasizing that. I'm talking about radical surrender to him. And then God will use you in an ordinary way for his glory. Let the God of Tola use your ordinary life for his glory. Amen.